With the 14th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, presented by AAA. Every athlete has a journey. Focus on the game. Let us worry about getting you there. Auto repair, roadside assistance, and auto insurance. Start your journey at AAA.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Journey to Drive podcast presented by AAA. I'm Chris McPherson, alongside Fran Duffy and Alex Smith. And gentlemen, we are less than a month away from the 2017 NFL Draft right here in our backyard in the city of brotherly love. The excitement is palpable. I can feel it around the city, guys. I can feel it. We're juiced. Come on now. And you know you know how I feel about the subject. Well, of course. <laughs> yeah. So, a lot to get into. First off, in draft buzz, a lot of Eagles-related items. The NFL annual meeting just concluded. We heard from Jeffrey Lurie. We heard from Doug Pearson. We're going to recap what they said. Eagles made a couple roster moves. Will that impact the team's plans for the draft? We're going to, in our pick six, tell you six potential day one starters who are not going to be first-round selections. Okay? This is my favorite pick six that we've done yet. I think this is a Great category. It's a good one. So we'll list those players out for you. Fran is shaking his head. I no, don't know sorry. why. He gave me He's all the credit for coming, on the back. For coming up yeah. with the idea. I don't want to take all the credit. Uh, our Mr. Relevant is Eric Galco from Sporting News. He's going to let us in on his selections for the Eagles in his most recent mock draft and some insights into a couple of players who we think would be perfect fits for the Eagles. Our unofficial visit is going to be a small school offensive lineman, Taylor Moten. We had a chance to catch up with them at the Senior Bowl. And then your questions in our draft mailbag. Let's get things rocking and rolling in Draft Buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. We've got roster moves. Got some news to talk about. Love news. Indeed. So the Eagles fortify the defense by bringing Chris Long, former first-round pick, won a Super Bowl with the Patriots last year, spent most of his career with the St. Louis Rams, and also a cornerback, Patrick Robinson, also a former first-round selection of the New Orleans Saints, uh, was with the Chargers and spent last year in Indianapolis. Gentlemen, what does this mean for the Eagles when it comes to the draft? Uh, I don't know if it affects it that much. Uh, obviously, it's two positions where the Eagles needed to build some depth. When you look at defensive end with the release of Connor Barwin uh, and then with what's happened at the cornerback position as well. But I really like these signings. I think they're two really good veteran players. Uh, Chris Long, obviously, former second overall pick. He's done a really good job in his career. And then Patrick Robinson, I really think, is an under-the-radar corner. Uh, there's actually an article about him on Pro Football Focus. And, of course, you know, he's people feel certain ways about pro football focus but there's a really good article about him and his one season uh in san diego where he actually had a really really good year i think they had him as the 16th best corner in the nfl signs a three-year deal with the colts and he was injury plague plagued last year uh, and that's why he was ultimately released but he won the second cornerback job in indianapolis ended up getting hurt not being able to play and that's why he was released so he signs a one-year deal with the deal with the Eagles, and I think it's a really good under-the-radar kind of move for the Eagles. Yeah, and what it also helps you do is it just gives you a little bit of flexibility going into draft weekend, where, again, you're not forced to make any kind of move in the first or second round that you wouldn't normally make because of what your depth chart looks like at either of those spots, and I, and I think that that goes a long way. To me, it does nothing for the draft plans. Outside of what you said, Fran, it doesn't – you're not feeling forced, really. Right. I've got to get a defensive end. I've got to get a cornerback. No. Outside of that, don't feel like just because I got Chris Long, well, 
you know, defensive ends outplay now at 14, okay? We got to look a little bit long-term here when it comes to the draft. So we heard from Jeffrey Lurie, Doug Peterson at the NFL annual meeting. Uh, the big takeaway from Jeffrey, I would say, is you've got the quarterback in Carson Wentz. You feel confident about that now, and this is really what the Eagles offseason has been all about, building around him, surrounding him with as much talent so he could fulfill his potential. Uh, Jeffrey also talked about the front office structure and just said how important it is that the Eagles hit on these next couple of drafts. And he likes the plan that they have in place. He loves the additions of Joe Douglas and Andy Weidel and what they brought to the table to this point. And Joe is really going to be responsible for setting up the draft board and how he will have final say when it comes to the draft at the end of April. Uh, but it's still about building this thing for the long haul. It's not going to be let's get a couple of pieces in here, turn this team into a 10-6 and six possible wild card contender, and then be done with it. They want to make sure that they sustain the talent pipeline for years to come. Yeah, I think and really what that comes down to, and that's when you get to the taking the quote-unquote best available players and when you can is because you're not looking at it just for 2017. The goal is to not just be good in 2017, it's to be good in 2018, 2019, 2020, and so on and so forth. And that means adding the best possible players that you can into your pipeline at every position on the depth chart uh, to supplement the roster. To me, it was interesting how Jeffrey's preaching patience. Because he's competitive, you know, he's been the owner since bought the team in '94. '95 was his first full season as the uh, chairman and CEO. He wants to win, but obviously he's learned that he's got to do this the right way. And he and he's you know being very cautious. He's like, look, Carson Wentz. He's getting a lot of praise from GMs and other owners at the meeting. It was one year, okay. You hope he stays healthy. You hope he continues to grow and develop. He's got all the key traits and characteristics you want in a quarterback, but you got to see that growth and that development but that there are a lot of holes on this team, that this is not going to be an overnight fix, that this team was, face it, pretty depleted when Chip Kelly was let go at the end of the 2015 season. Howie and Joe and Andy, they've done a great job of getting things back on track. They got the quarterback, which is the most important thing. Now they have to fill those holes. Doug Peterson, so he spoke at length for an hour with reporters. Wasn't really a ton of news to come out of it. I think one of the interesting aspects is the character discussion. And it's something that Jeffrey and Doug both spoke about uh, at length about how important it is to bring in guys who fit your system. And obviously, you're talking about guys like Joe Mixon, D.D. Westbrook, you know, Alvin Kamara has some off-field issues, Dalvin Cook. There are a number of guys who have some questions about what's happened in the past and whether that's going to haunt them moving forward. And Jeffrey said everything is on a case-by-case basis. Doug spoke at length about the player Joe Mixon is in particular and just basically said that you've got to do your homework and you've got to figure out if this guy is going to help the culture, if he's going to be a good fit inside your building and help get your team to that championship level that you want to get to. The way that I look at it with off-field, and this is how I've always looked at it, and it absolutely is a case-by-case basis, um, but the way I've always looked at it is this. Whenever we're projecting players from college to the NFL, not just the NFL, but in every sport, you're not talking about what they did in college. You're talking about what they can do moving forward, right? So uh, that's why stats in college don't necessarily matter. It's what traits do you show when you're in college that project well moving forward. And to me, that's why when you look at these off-field issues, it's not necessarily, you know, 
obviously the, the individual acts themselves are bad. I mean, what Joe Mixon did was awful. Um, but what you're trying to find out now is, is this a part of a pattern of behavior that's going to continue, or is it an isolated incident and he's contrite and he's moving forward and doing everything he can to fix himself and, and you know try and, and move on from that incident? And I think that that is the work that all 32 teams are doing with all of these players. You know, a, a guy like a Joe Mixon and, and Dalvin Cook, who had you know some of those issues in the past, going back to high school, and uh, so many of these other guys that ha- have those off-field issues. That's the work that every team is trying to do: is find out is this going to be something that is going to be re- a repetitive issue moving forward, or is this something that you know he's moved on from and we feel good about bringing him into our culture? Yeah, and I think you know. Doug Peterson said it best, and, and Fran, you just said it too. It has to be a case by case, you know, basis here. You can't just say, okay, you know, we're not even going to look into these guys. We're not going to do our homework. We're not going to go talk to their coaches and family members or whoever it may be. If they have anything in their past, they're off our board. You have to do your homework. You have to see, you know, was it a one time thing? Was it, you know, a dumb decision that they made here or there? Uh, and, and of course, you know, the Eagles have history. Look at Michael Vick. He was a player who obviously, you know, did did bad things, did his time said he was a changed person, and then came to Philadelphia, and he proved that. So there are definitely cases of guys who you know have those backgrounds and can change their ways. Um, so I really think that taking a case-by-case case and really doing your homework uh, and finding out everything you need to know about these guys, I really think that the Eagles are going to do a good job of doing that. So speaking of Joe Mixon, Dalen Jeremiah, former scout for the Eagles, now does a phenomenal job with the NFL Network, basically has heard from everyone in the league that if you want Joe Mixon, if you're willing to take the risk of bringing Joe Mixon into your building, you're going to have to select him in the second round. He may not be a first-round choice, but he certainly is not going to be a day-three selection. He's not going to be a Lyle Collins mm-hmm. from a couple of years ago who doesn't get drafted at all with the incident that happened uh, with his ex-girlfriend, I believe it was. But Joe Mixon will be a second-day pick in the NFL draft. There's precedent for it, too. I mean, the, with guys like Frank Clark, who was a second-round pick from Michigan to the Seattle Seahawks, and he had uh, the domestic violence issue in his background. Obviously, Doriel Green-Beckham had issues at Missouri, ended up still being a second-round pick from the Tennessee Titans. So there have been guys in recent memory where that has happened. Now, and it's this is the reality of the situation, you have the video that goes along with that, and that's what kind of changes things from a, a public standpoint. But uh, – you know, I mean, talent-wise, we know. We've heard all about how talented Joe Mixon is. I personally don't think that he's a top 10 talent, like a lot of people will say, but I do think he's a top 40 player in this draft. I mean, he's an outstanding uh, running back prospect. Here's a question for you, Fran. Is he a first-round talent? I know you said top 40. Yeah, I mean, well, that's the, that's the thing is when you get into it, like when you're talking about uh, about need and what, and what team you are and what your roster looks like and things like things of that nature. To me, it's like if you think that Joe Mixon is a first-round talent, I would love a team just take him in the first round, okay? If you are fine with bringing him into the building, right. yeah. who cares yeah, if right. you take him in the first round? the fourth round, the seventh round. If you're going to bring him into your building, it doesn't matter where he's selected. You're going to have everything that comes with Joe Mixon. And I've been very open and honest about where I stand. I don't want him as a Philadelphia Eagle, okay? And Jeffrey and Doug had every opportunity at the annual meeting to say he's not on our board. Some teams flat out said that. I believe the Dolphins and the Patriots have said he's not on our board. So he very well could be in play for the Eagles who do need a running back. If you're that high on Joe Mixon, I would love for a team – just take him in the first round, okay? Right. Be like, we rank him as 
a first round grade. We had, was one of the top thirty two players in the draft. Right. Just go if you're going to be in, go all in. Right. It's not like taking him around later. You know, soothes the situation anymore. No. Right. No. Well, that's now, why the round two stuff doesn't shock me because I do think that. If you feel that strongly about it, I mean, that, uh, chances are you're not the only person that feels that strongly. Certainly, about it. Yeah. and that's the thing. It's again, my whole thing here is if you feel that strongly about Joe Mixon, just go take him in the first round. Okay, now maybe it's you're trying to get value. You're thinking his his stock has decreased a little bit. It hasn't decreased that much. So if you feel that good about him. Don't pat yourself on the back and say, well, you know, we did the right thing by waiting until the second round. If you think that he's a first-round talent, now it's one thing if you're like Jacksonville who may take a running back. They've been linked to Leonard Fournette in a number of mock drafts. Maybe they go a different way. They go with one of the safeties. Maybe they go with a corner. I don't know where they're going to go. Maybe they go Jonathan Allen in the first round, and then maybe they take him somewhere there in the second round, early second round. That may be one situation. But if you're a team in late first round and you need a running back and you have him rated that high, just go for it. So, but again, both he, Dalvin Cook, I've let it be known where my thoughts stand. Now, speaking of Dalvin Cook, Lance Airline said on Twitter that he spoke with one NFL running backs coach who said there's no doubt that Dalvin Cook is the best running back in this draft. He reran his 40 at his pro day and got in the mid 4 4. So, he had a not so great workout at the combine, sort of dropped his stock a little bit. This certainly helps him help solidify himself in that conversation in terms of maybe being the first back being taken off the board. Well, here's what's funny about that whole thing, right? Is that uh, you know his four five, he ran the four five in Indianapolis, and yeah, that's people expected him to be faster. But a four five for a running back is a fine time. That's a that's an above average time. His shuttle times were awful. And his jumps were awful. And that's the stuff that really goes into your ultimate athletic uh, profile. And he didn't redo those tests. So that kind of like, I'm like jo- uh, our friend Josh Norris from, from Roto World uh, texted me the same thing actually this morning. and said, that's a little, it's a little weird that he would do the 40 and he didn't do anything else. And my answer was, well, maybe he doesn't expect to right. improve those numbers. Right. And if, the, if that's what he is, then that's what he is, uh, which is interesting. Yeah, it's it's a tease Tabor situation. Who didn't run a good forty at the combine? Then he runs it as pro day and says, "Okay, I can improve on my four six four or whatever he ran at the combine." And he runs a four seven something. So maybe it's one of those situations where, hey, I don't want to put out any worse numbers. I'm just not going to do it. Um, but I think Dalvin Cook's a really talented running back. I don't know if he's definitely the top running back in this class. Right. Uh, and I don't know if you know these, like you said, friend, these forty numbers are really going to affect how teams view him. Um, but I certainly think that he's a talented player, and he's you know within that discussion of the top running back in the draft. Seeing with the running backs, how about Texas's Deontay Foreman ran a four four five at his pro day after he was not able to run in Indy due to a stress fracture. Obviously, a big physical back. How does this help his draft stock? Well, I think it does help him in terms of, you know, it's good for him to, for teams to be able to see, okay, he's able to get out and run on the stress fracture. Since he's a bigger back, uh, a stress fracture in the foot is, is a little bit of a concern, um, you know, whenever, anytime you have something of that kind of an injury. But, you know, to me, when I look at Deontay Foreman, my, my biggest thing is he ran against a ton of light boxes in that offense. You know, that, that, that offense that they were running in Texas, 
uh, very similar to what you see uh, in Baylor and, and some of these other wide open spread offenses. A lot of uh, elements of the air raid as well. So um, you know, very a lot of light boxes, a lot of six man boxes where you know maybe he doesn't even need to make one man miss before he's picking up five six yards. Uh, and you just don't see that kind of thing in the NFL. And that's going to be the big jump for Deontay Foreman making the the transition to the NFL. And he's had some ball security issues. too. Lots right? of ball security issues. So speaking of running backs, get back to Doug Peterson for a second, what he said at the annual meeting. He explained what he values in a running back, one who runs between tackles, okay, makes sense, a three-down guy, meaning you can have him on the field in pass downs, and not just as a receiver, obviously, which helps, but in terms of pass protection. Um, which back would you guys say fits that mold the best if you're the Eagles? Uh, I think that there's a few guys that, because he talked also about, he mentioned like route running and just the ability to be a receiver. I mean, if you're talking about that, I mean, there's a few guys, obviously Christian McCaffrey, yep, our, our guy from Stanford, to me, yep. to me. McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara is an outstanding receiver uh, out of the backfield, and he was used in a lot of different ways at the University of Tennessee. Joe Mixon was an outstanding receiver at Oklahoma. Uh, you know, there was a few of these. I mean, Dalvin Cook made a lot of plays downfield in the passing game, wasn't used like out in the slot running different routes and things like that like some of these other guys were. But uh, there are a number of guys. And you get into the day three area, and there's the Elijah Maguires and the you know the uh, Donnell Pumphreys of the world that are also very good in the passing game. So when it comes to off-field stuff, it's not just character injury history, something that comes into play. We talked about Deontay Foreman and a stress fracture. Doug spoke about John Ross. The speedy wideout from Washington and his injury history, ACL tear in one knee, meniscus in another, had a, what was it, labrum surgery shoulder, yep. um, not that long ago. So basically Doug said, hey, not worried about that when it comes to John Ross. Cited the Eagle Sports Science Program and there's ways to keep guys healthy and on the field. So we talk about, you know, Ross is a potential option for the Eagles at 14. It looks like that. Maybe he's very well in that conversation. Yeah, I would say that you throw some of these other guys into the mix as well that have had uh, injury concerns in the past. And again, like off-field, like you mentioned, it's a case-by-case deal. So just because John Ross on the table doesn't mean that somebody, uh, you know, if they see if someone got a red flag like a Deontay Foreman who got red flagged by numerous doctors at the Combine for that stress fracture and was not allowed to run, uh, could be off the board. So that's what's interesting to follow. Yeah, it's, it's just another example of teams have to do their homework whether it's off-the-field stuff in terms of character or whether it's injury stuff as well. So um, obviously the combine is huge for teams being able to get medicals on all these guys. Uh, it's obviously one of the biggest components of the combine. So uh, I'm sure that the Eagles, they, you know, they have their doctors look at all these players uh, and they feel pretty strongly that you know, if they're going to take them, that they can keep them healthy. All right, so a little bit later on, we're going to hear from Eric Galco from Optimum Scouting and the Sporting News, and he'll talk about his mock draft selections for the Eagles. We'll get to your questions in our draft mailbag. But up next, pick six, six day one starters from the second day of the NFL draft. Now it's time for pick six. All right, again, pick six this week. Six starters, six players who will be day one starters for their respective NFL teams but who will not be selected in the first round because we could just say, well, Miles Garrett and John Denown, you know, we can go with the top guys and we'll come up with the first six picks of the NFL draft and say, all right, you know, easy enough game. That'll make it a little bit challenging for ourselves. So we wanted to find guys who are not going to be selected in the first round. So what was your guys' way of coming up with this? For me, I was looking at players who had instant impact as rookies a year ago 
and looking at the positions. I also was going through mock drafts because I didn't want to say a couple guys who came to mind, like David Joku came to mind, tight end for Miami. And I'm like, well, some mock drafts have him going yeah. late first round. I'm like, mm-hmm. so I can't go there. So I was trying to find guys who I was not seeing on any mock drafts as a first round selection. So I was looking at players who I thought filled a specific role that you know that they're going to be, you know, this position. It's not going to be, well, where are they going to fit in an offense? You know, you know, so-and-so is going to be a slot receiver, or this person is, you know, that big physical corner. And I'm just teasing my picks right here. Uh, but the, this, this player is going to be a big physical corner that some team's going to look at and say, we need to have that kind of aggressiveness. So that's the way I looked at it, as looking for guys who you know are going to be starters because they fit a specific kind of role. Yeah, I just kind of went with some of my favorite players. <laughs> 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 I went to day two and I said, you know what, who are some guys that I think are are excellent football players that I'm not really seeing a lot of first-round buzz on? All right, so uh, I'll kick things off here. I want to go play coming from a small school, so it might be a little knock against him from that standpoint. Maybe that's why he's not a first-round selection, but he's a defensive lineman. Envision him as a three technique at the next level, someone who can penetrate get in the backfield, and that's Larry Ogunjabai from NC Charlotte. Okay, the, the fighting Les Bowens. The fighting Les Bowens, the 49ers. Look, he he's a North Carolina kid. He stayed there to help build the program from scratch. He's played in every game in the school's history. Extremely productive, 65 tackles, 13 and a half tackles for loss in his last season there. You know, I was looking for someone with experience. I was looking for someone who could go into a position in the NFL where, look, you got to get upfield, you got to get to the quarterback, you got to get the job done. So between the experience, the productivity, where he's going to line up at, I thought Larry Gunjabai would be a guy who stood out to me as a potential day one starter from not in the first round. Four-year captain, Larry, Larry Ogunjobi. He's an interesting player. Um, I went with a guy that I is from right around the same area, from Clemson, cornerback uh, Cordrea Tankersley, who, I, I you know, I watched him last season, going to 2015, and I thought, you know, this really nice player has, has really come along, uh, and he's a good prospect. Then I watched him again this year, the 2016, and he took a jump from 2015 to 2016. I mean, to me, I watched a guy that I thought was a lock to be a first-round pick, and I'm not seeing any first-round buzz uh, about Tankersley whatsoever, and that, that really surprises me. And I, I would be shocked if he uh, fell out of day two, but to me, I think he's a guy that has all the physical tools to be a starting corner in the NFL, potentially early in his career. And so to me, this was a, an easy day two starter for me. Uh, my first player here, I'm going to go with a guy who I think could be late second, early third round pick, and he was really one of the darlings of the Senior Bowl, and that's wide receiver Cooper Cup. I know he's a guy that was generating a lot of, a lot of buzz kind of early in the process. Maybe he's taken a, a step back or two as of late, but he's just an NFL slot receiver, and I think he's going to step in from day one uh, because he does everything well enough. He, he may not do anything you know spectacularly, but he does everything well. Uh, really solid route runner, good with his hands. He's got pretty good size for a slot receiver as well. Um, so I think he's a guy who, like I said, late second, maybe early third, he's going to step in and you can plug him right into your offense and you won't skip a beat with Cooper Cup in there. So uh, I, he's my first player here. And my second guy, I stayed on offense. I stayed along the line of scrimmage and I went with Indiana guard Dan Feeney. He started as a true freshman, over three plus years of experience at right guard, uh, two-time captain, paved the way for NFL backs like Tevin Coleman and Jordan Howard. Uh, has some experience at right tackle as well. Uh, was a first-team All-American Big Ten selection this past year. You know, offensive line is a pretty popular spot where 
The guy's lots of experience. Boom. He can plug and play from day one. I think Dan Feeney could be that guy. And he's not someone who's projected like, say, Forrest Lamp. Uh, or Garrett Bowles to be a first-round selection. Uh, it was a really good pick. I like Dan Feeney a lot. And then I stayed in the trenches for my final pick uh, with a guy that, you know, everybody looks at the defensive line group, the interior defensive tackles, and they say, okay, Jonathan Allen, Solomon Thomas, uh, Malik McDowell, all three guys locks for the first round, and those are the top three. Well, the guy that I think is right on their heels as the fourth defensive, interior defensive lineman is Eddie Vanderdoes from UCLA. And, and I see a guy who's built like a fire hydrant. And he's lost a good amount of weight over the last couple of years. And you're talking about a player who played at 330 in 2015. He's down now to 303. 302 at his pro day uh, and has just slowly shedded some of those LBs over the course of the last few months throughout the pre-draft process. I loved his teammate, uh, Kenny Clark, last year. He was a first-round pick and a day-one starter for the Green Bay Packers. Wouldn't surprise me at all if Vanderdose maybe not go in round one, but also turned into a, a day-one starter as a nose tackle, as a as a, a five-technique and a 3-4, or as a nose tackle and a 4-3. I think he could play any of those roles. So what exactly does Vanderdose do? Well, he does everything well, but really what stands out. He Vander does everything well. He Vander does everything well. Uh, To me, I mean, I look at a guy who's got a strong anchor and he uses his hands really well against the pass, high motor. I I really like him a lot. Well, a a guy who I really like a lot here, and I'm staying on the defensive side of the ball, is Rasul Douglas, the cornerback from West Virginia, uh, mainly because of his size. Six foot two, two hundred and nine pounds. He's got thirty-two and three-eighth inch arms. So he's got the size that some defensive coordinators are going to look at and say, "We need that. We we want that taller, more physical corner." Uh, I think he can step in from day one. Uh, not really a quick twitch. He's a little slow out of his stance. A lot of that has to go with his height. Um, but I just think that he's got both the size and the mentality. I think if you talk to Jim Schwartz, he always mentions about how he wants his cornerbacks to be a little feisty, have that competitiveness. And I think Rasul Douglas has that, and I think he's a starter from day one in the NFL. So there you have it. Six potential day one starters from day two of the NFL draft. That's our pick six. Up next, Eric Galco from Sporting News and Optimum Scouting to talk all things NFL draft and the Philadelphia Eagles. Who does he think? The team will select at number 14 overall. Let's get to our interview in this week's Mr. Relevant. It's time for Mr. Relevant. This week's Mr. Relevant on the Journey to Draft podcast presented by AAA is Eric Galco, the NFL lead draft analyst for Sporting News, and he has his own draft guide, which is available at Optimum Scouting. You can follow Eric on Twitter at Optimum Scouting. And Eric, in your latest mock draft, you have the Eagles selecting a cornerback, Alabama's Marlon Humphrey, at number 14. Can you take us into your reasoning for the pick? Yeah, I think certainly the Eagles have addressed at least the short term the receiver position uh, in the in free agency so far. Certainly Alshon Jeffer being a one-year guy. We'll see if the Eagles want to add more receivers in this draft class. I think it's certainly possible even around one is in consideration. But I think cornerback is still their biggest need. And I think Marlon Humphrey is a great fit. I think Humphrey is our number two rated cornerback in this draft class, only after Marshawn Lattimore of Ohio State, who will be a top ten pick. And I think when Humphrey has played this year as probably Alabama's best cornerback, although they certainly have a lot of talent in that defensive backfield. But long, physical, can play in the perimeter, can play a little cover three, can press. It's been a lot in Alabama. No, Alabama's had some issues with past cornerbacks that have gotten in round one, uh, Dean Milner most notably. I think Humphrey is 
the kind of guy that's going to work long term in the NFL. And the strong cornerback class, it may make sense for the Eagles to wait and get one of the top pass rushers, even look for a receiver like John Ross or Corey Davis, even with the receiver class, because they can certainly find cornerbacks later. But if they do go one in round one, I think Marlon Humphrey is the best guy for Marshawn Lattimore. Eric, I know following your work and looking at that mock draft, I know you feel that a guy like Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, Mitch Trubisky, three quarterbacks could potentially go top 20. I know you feel very strongly about both tackles, Garrett Bowles from Utah, Cam Robinson from Alabama. you got the two big safeties. These are all positions that a lot of analysts don't see as particularly big needs for the Eagles, but if all seven of these guys were to go ahead of the Eagles at the 14th pick, are there any big-name players that could potentially fall that many fans aren't expecting to fall to the number 14 selection? Yeah, I think it's a great point. And the quarterbacks, and speaking with people around the league, I feel all quarterbacks will be gone, the top three at least, Trubisky, Mahomes, and Watson, as you mentioned, will be gone by the top 15 picks. And the Colts at 15 could be a prime trade-down candidate for a team looking for a quarterback. So Eagles still underneath the quarterback in this draft class, and they'll all be gone. And the offensive tackle class is very weak after round one. I think we'll see Ryan Ramchak, Garrett Bowles, and Cam Robinson also someplace in the top 20 picks, if not earlier than that. So the Eagles not really needing those two positions is a huge help, as you mentioned. The one guy that I think could go anywhere from third overall to the Eagles, if the Eagles want to take it like that, is Jonathan Allen from Alabama. Um, certainly, arguably the second-best player in the NFL draft this year, non-quarterbacks after Miles Garrett, if he's healthy. But the shoulder issues and really the lingering injury concerns with Jonathan Allen is really concerning for some teams. The Bears have substantial interest. They have for a while, and their team is not going to really shy away from injury guys all that much. And speaking with someone close to the Bears just the other day. But if they pass on him, I'm not sure the Jaguars are going to be a great fit for him as well. They're going to value injuries. The Titans and John Robinson, the GM there, won't take an injury guy with a fifth overall pick. So I think after the third overall pick, it's tough to find an ideal location for Jonathan Allen. And with an injury guy like that, teams aren't going to want to trade up for him. So I think Jonathan Allen could really fall somewhere in the teams. I think if he's there for the Eagles, it'd be hard to pass up and argue the second-best player in the 2017 NFL draft. Eric, the running back position is certainly interesting to look at for the Eagles as well, and certainly we know the big names at the top with guys like Cook and Fournette and even Christian McCaffrey. But you have the Eagles taking Alvin Kamara in the second round. What do you like about him as a runner? I think he does everything well. Um, I think in, in a running back class that's not as deep as I think some want it to be, um, I think he's going to be somewhere, probably go before the Eagles pick in the second round um, as a running back because he does everything well. He can play between the tackles. He accelerates so well at the second level. I think we're going to see Fournette go someplace in the top 10 or 15 picks. I think as high as four, six to the Jets, and eight to the Panthers all could be in play for Fournette, so he won't be available in the Eagles pick. I think Dalvin Cook may slide at the top of round two. I think the Jaguars' top of round two might be Dalvin Cook's location, McCaffrey someplace in the top 25 picks of round one. But after that, Kamara, Deontay Foreman, all in the mix. I think pretty much the Eagles looking for a running back in rounds two or three. And, and while we've heard a lot about this running back class really for two years now on how talented it could be, it's not as deep as I think some want it to be. I think Kamara and Deontay Foreman are worth that pick. I think both would be good picks, but Kamara especially because he can kind of do everything well, let Darren Sproles, let these other running backs that the Eagles have that can kind of be utility guys play alongside of him. Eric, you live in the Philadelphia area. You obviously hear the sports talk buzz about what's what's going on with the Eagles and who the team should pick. Are there any prospects who you think would be ideal fits for the Eagles who maybe aren't being discussed by the general media? I think the one guy that I'm most curious about where he ends up after his injury is Sidney Jones of Washington. I think if the Eagles pass on cornerback in round one, go for a receiver, go for a guy like Jonathan Allen who may fall, even 
trade up or, or get a guy like Leonard Fournette and running back to go Christian McCaffrey in round one, if they pass on cornerback in round one, because they now have cornerback options, I think, for the short term, taking a guy like Sidney Jones could be a tremendous value. And two years ago, they took Eric Rowe in the second round, who at the time, some teams thought was a fringe first-round cornerback, and they got him in round two. I think that could be a similar situation this year, where they can kind of still address their most pressing need at cornerback in round two and get almost a first-round talent. So I think a Sidney Jones-type fit in round two can make a lot of sense to the Eagles. I think a lot of teams in round two will be anxious to get Sidney Jones from Washington because he's usually a first-round pick. We haven't rated as a fringe, fringe first, early second-round pick. I think if he's there in mid to late second-round area, it'd be a great trip for like the Eagles that has playoff aspirations but also wants to get great value in the second or third round. Eric, last week you talked about uh, the running back slash wide receiver from Ohio State, Curtis Samuel, and I wanted to ask you about him because he's a really interesting prospect because of his versatility, because of how dynamic he can be both on offense and as well on special teams. So I wanted to ask you just to, uh, for an expanse on your thoughts on that prospect and how he would potentially fit here in Philadelphia. Yeah, I think he's kind of the, the receiver version of Darren Sproles in a lot of ways. And that the ways you can use Sproles on the backfield is what you can use Samuel as a receiver first and, and work into the backfield as well. And, and when Percy Harden was at his prime in the NFL, he was motioned from the slot to the backfield. He was used a lot as pretty much a runner playing receiver. That's the kind of value that Samuel can offer. I think he's a better prospect as a receiver, as a running back. I'm not sure he can really do a whole lot of runs on the interior. He's not a great inside zone runner. He's not a guy with trust in short area yards for sure. But I think when you get him in space in the perimeter is where he's best. I think kind of using him as a receiver running back chess piece, which teams are doing so much better than they did when Percy Harvin came in the league, you can line up Samuel on running back, motion up to receiver, or vice versa. Playing him and Darren Sproles together could be a dynamic opportunity for the Eagles or really any team that has another staff back that can play alongside Samuel. I think that versatility is so important. I think for teams who have established receivers or have established running backs, but still want to add to their offense, the Bengals, for example, or the Carolina Panthers, who have that new wrinkle to their offense, and the Eagles could be that as well. Samuel is that wrinkle that is still an offensive centerpiece to kind of have a lot of versatility in your offense, but also adds so much more in terms of making other players better and kind of taking touches away from your key guys. So I think the Eagles, who don't want to have overburdened Baron Sproles, they don't want to overburden their receivers making a lot of plays. Samuel can run so many easy routes or easy screen plays or easy reverses that kind of set your offense up to be more versatile moving forward. So it's not necessarily what Samuel does as a receiver, as a running back, but what he can set up your other teammates to do um, in the course of an offense. Eric, I'm curious to get your take on Florida cornerback Tease Tabor because I saw on your big board that was posted earlier this month, I think you had him in the top 10. He goes out and runs a 4-7 at his pro day. Does that affect how you view him as a potential first-round corner? Yeah, it's brutal. Um, I think it has to. I think it has to for any team that's been a of Tez DeBoer, and I haven't talked with teams yet about how they'll affect their boards, and you don't ever want to do that. Um, the NFL Combine, in its best form, should be kind of a, a box check. It should be, this guy ran this, this is what we saw on film, this is what we saw on film, or let's go back and double-check things, yep, still matches up, we're okay. Whenever there's a glaring issue like that, where it's 40 times per position that you know receivers and cornerbacks every year, when it turns out making their draft board, those times can matter because it's so close to so many position groups, especially a cornerback this year, where there's seven or eight guys you can argue as a number two guy or after Marshawn Lattimore, and I know Francis Big Ten Stavius White of LSU, a guy I'm very high on as well, and our third-rated cornerback. But DeVore, I think, has the talent to be one of the top cornerbacks in this draft class. He was our number one cornerback for a time during the course of the season. But the 40 times concerning, you know, NFL teams are going to be a bit worried about doing more than just a cover two opportunity for him because they don't want to 
risk taking a guy who ran a 4-7 to be a cover three cornerback or be a man-up cornerback. So I think for DeBoer, it's going to be more reduced to a cover two situation, a press cornerback situation, and, and not asking to be relied upon the defense is going to ask him to go down through a lot. But I think there's certainly a lot of teams that still value him. Chicago Bears come to mind as a second-round team that could be a great fit for test the board, but only wanting a 4-7 at position like that with 40 times and really all athletic testing is at a premium. It's going to affect his draft stock. I'd be surprised if he's one of the top five quarterbacks taken in the draft day just because of, of those words and numbers. Eric, in your conversations with NFL teams, are there prospects who you see as just you rate them much better than other teams, or are there, on the flip side, prospects who – you're hearing great things about from NFL teams, but you just don't see it on tape. That's a great question. And top of my head, I can't think of one. The one guy that comes to mind, and it's kind of changed a little bit in the last few weeks, um, but it's been Patrick Mahomes. And I remember, I think I wrote about this in Sporting News a couple of months ago, but you talk with some teams and they laugh saying that Patrick Mahomes is worth a top first round pick or, or a, a top overall quarterback consideration. They laugh. And I mean, a guy like Patrick Mahomes with, his offense he's playing and his gunslinger mentality, the amount of leads he misses consistently, no way any team would ever take him in the first round. He's going to be a second, third-round guy, and we want him graded as a top three-round pick. And the other teams to talk to has been, we like him a lot, too. We think he's worthy of a top quarterback spot, and the quarterback class is kind of hit or miss. You know, we'll see where that goes and from there. But I think he's the guy that comes up most. But the one guy I think that kind of got lost in the shuffle a bit at Washington was Kevin King, fellow quarterback with Sidney Jones. And I spoke with one uh, scout, at the NFL Combine before Sidney Jones' injury, Lucky felt Kevin King was a better graded player than Sidney Jones because of his length and his talent. And it made me go back and rewatch Kevin King a bit more before publishing our draft guide. And I think those are the kind of guys at this point in the year that are overlooked, or especially small school guys, who the area scouts and the regional scouts have been speaking high of all year. The pro day surgeon kind of allow those guys to come to light a little bit. So I think we'll see probably in terms of the media, but also with NFL teams, the real buzz and really what sleepers come from is when area scouts or regional scouts kind of get their voice heard in the draft room. I think we'll see a lot more of those small school guys, quote-unquote, rise, but actually begin to be updated on draft boards across the NFL. So we'll see a lot of small school guys kind of merge to the top that aren't, weren't senior guys or weren't NFL combat advice. Eric Galco from Sporting News. You can also purchase his draft guide at OptimumScouting.com and follow his work on Twitter at Optimum Scouting. Eric Galco, thank you very much for joining us here on the Journey to Draft podcast presented by AAA. Appreciate it, guys. Again, thank you so much, Eric, and make sure to pick up his draft guide now at OptimumScouting.com. So our unofficial visit this week, Fran, you had a chance to catch up with Western Michigan offensive lineman Taylor Moten at the Senior Bowl. Yeah, and he would definitely fit in the mold of the guys that we talked about in pick six as a potential day one starter from day two. Uh, and something that I talked about with him down at the Senior Bowl. The unofficial visit. Here now with Western Michigan offensive lineman Taylor Moten. And Taylor, I feel like we don't ask the question enough. What's it been like? What's the experience been like so far the first couple days down here at the Senior Bowl? Oh, it's been a wonderful uh, wonderful experience so far. I love the people I've met, wonderful hospitality here. I've already made a lot of friends on the football team, and you know, I've loved the experience to you know, really get after it and just get better. For fans that have yet to see you play, can you give us a, a quick scouting report? Of myself, yeah. I'd just say, you know, I'm someone who always plays at the whistle, someone who's going to get after it, versatile, you know, play tackle guard, I can even snap if I need to, so, you know, really smart, pick up a playbook quick, you know, I'm just, I'll just do whatever it takes to get on the field. 
What's the harder part? You mentioned that versatility. You played tackle, you played guard. What's harder as an offensive lineman? Sliding from tackle to guard or switching sides, going left tackle, right tackle? As I saw you do it a couple times in practice today. What's the harder switch for an offensive lineman? I mean, it's just, I guess, you know, pass pro is different. You know, tackle, I'm kicking back. I'm playing a little bit more space guard. It's all a lot quicker. I can't give up as much depth nearly as much. So, I mean, it, it, that's probably the biggest difference between the two, I'd say. I've talked with a couple defensive linemen so far, and they've both named you as the best player they've gone up against on the offensive line. So we'll see if you name one of them. Who's the best defensive lineman you've seen so far down here at the Senior Bowl? Oh, man, there's been a couple. You know, I haven't went against too many you know, so far, but uh, you know, I went against the defensive, both defensive ends from Illinois, really good. The guy from Notre Dame has been really well. Uh, you know, even a defensive end from Michigan. You know, so I've seen a lot of really top talent, I'd say, and I'd, I'd love the opportunity to get a, go against the best in the country. What's the one area of your game you know that you want to improve on most moving from college to the NFL? I just want to keep refining my technique, you know, just keep working on my hand placement, footwork, you know, setting in the right place, you know, just work really focus on the little things day in and day out. That's really what I want to focus on. And then lastly, what's the one area that you think you kind of set yourself apart from some of the other players at your position at this game? Uh, well, I guess just my versatility, I can play anywhere and, um, I mean, we're really all the offensive linemen here are tremendous players, so I, I, I just want to showcase my talents really just about how, the, how good I can play. And that's really what I just look forward to showing everybody. All right, well, Taylor, best of luck throughout the process. Appreciate the time here on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. Now it's time for your questions in our draft mailbag. Our first question comes from at Sticks5212 on Twitter. What are the odds of Leonard Fournette being there at number 14? I don't know what the odds are, but I think that it's possible. Yeah, I think it's I do think it's possible though, right? I mean, yeah, we we think he could go as high as 4 and that seems to be like the chic pick right now for the Jaguars because uh, of all the money they spent in free agency at some of their other perceived areas of need and when you look at the value in this draft, it seems like uh, Tom Coughlin is preparing to make Leonard Fournette the fourth overall pick, but uh, when you look at the rest of that top ten, I mean, you know, Eric brought it up earlier. Okay, the New York Jets maybe at six, potentially the Carolina Panthers. They've been connected to Fournette often throughout the process. After that, is there anybody else there that that would pull the trigger there? Maybe you know, Bills, maybe, maybe maybe the Bills, maybe the Browns with the twelfth pick. Uh, but after that, I I kind of think it is possible. And if you you know, if people are worried about running back value in the first, especially in this draft with so many other quality options later, could he fall? I think it's it is possible. I think the odds are really, really low that he falls to fourteen because, uh, you know, despite you know all the talk about running backs and value in the first round, I think he's the first running back off the board, uh, and I'd be really, really surprised if he makes it out of the top ten. You know, all the teams that you just mentioned, Fran. Um, I think he's just too talented to make it out of the top 10. So I would love to see him there at 14, um, but I just don't think it's going to happen. How many quarterbacks go in the top 13 picks? I mean, I loved Eric's answer of three. Yeah, yeah, three would be that's like, the dream. I, that's like that's, a pipe dream. I, I think like one for sure, maybe two. Maybe a second. Maybe a second, right? But you got the two safeties. That gives you three. You've got uh, – how many receivers? You got Corey Davis, Mike Williams, John Ross. Maybe three-ish. one of those three. You know, maybe one or two, three. Now you're you're already knocking that number up close to in half. In half. I don't know. I think I just think it's possible. I think See, it's possible. This is Solomon po- Thomas for sure. I think goes that high. Probably Jonathan Allen goes that high. Ruben Foster. 
There's a lot of big names. This is the part where you have to keep talking up some of your favorite players to get them into the top ten. So let's talk about Nate Peterman. Let's talk about Cordero Taylor Moten, maybe. Come Taylor on, Taylor Moten. Let's get all these guys in the top thirteen. Uh, no, but again, it's just it's. I think it will be really tough to see him fall that far. I'd be intrigued if he makes it to twelve to the Browns because I think that some team would trade up. I could see the Browns saying, yeah, "Let's right, let's accumulate more yeah. picks," and then some team who. And I don't know if the Eagles would be interested in a trade-up situation for Fournette. I don't know. I look. I would love to have him in Midnight slash Kelly Green. <laughs> yeah. But I don't want to give up draft capital to do it when you know you can have other guys later on. For the people that hate the idea of drafting a running back in round one, they would absolutely abhor the idea of trading up in the first round for a running back. Because now you're spending two picks to would to Fournette be the exception though? That's that well, that's what situation. I, I, I think that a lot of people yeah. feel differently about. I that. I agree with you on that one. So I think not that I'm against. I, mean, I I love Fournette. I would be I'd be happy with Fournette. So odds. So we're going odds. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say five percent. Oof. I'm right around there. Maybe ten percent, ten percent chance. I'm going to go fourteen percent. Okay, sixteen percent, sixteen percent. I'm sticking oh, like with fourteen percent was better because that's our <laughs> draft oh, yeah. spot. Well, Jeez. That's why I wanted to go higher than that. All right. Uh, <laughs> at r underscore Purdy on Twitter, how much does Desmond King, the Iowa corners four five one in the forty, help him? Is he a fit with the Eagles? I feel like his body of work is being slept on because of suboptimal athletic profile. I definitely agree with that second part. I, I do think that everybody is kind of sleeping on Desmond King at this point. He didn't ha- he did not have a strong week at the Senior Bowl. He came in smaller than people thought. Uh, he didn't you know he's he's just not a great athlete when compared to some of these other guys. And so when you uh, when you look at all of that, you say, all right, well you know what what is Desmond King? Some people rank him now as a safety. And look, regardless of whether he's a safety or a slot corner or even a potential outside guy. I, Desmond King can play football. I mean, he's super instinctive. He's got outstanding ball skills. He's really tough. He's a great tackler. Uh, I, I really like Desmond King. It's just a matter of you know, make where, where's his best fit? Is he a slot corner? Nothing wrong with that, by the way. He could be a great slot corner, or he could be a good safety down the road. Whatever he is, I, I really like his game. All right. Our next question comes from at Jackson underscore Raheem, our good friend. Wants to know: Should the Eagles draft Adam Shaheen in the second round? Friends making a face at that one. And then James Conner in the fourth round. I think James Conner around four, I think all three of us can get on board with, right? That's something I you feel pretty good about that one? Uh, yeah, I think I could. You can get on yes. board with that. I like James Conner. Lo- love his story. Sure. Like him as a player. Yeah, probably around four would be yeah, fine. I feel good about James Conner around four. He doesn't seem like a flashy running back. He's though. not. He's oh, just not. this guy's going to lower his head and kind of run straight forward. He's meat and, and potatoes. Yeah. Well, he's meat and potatoes. But Adam Shaheen was a little rich for me around two. I big really I mean outstanding size, uh, extremely productive at a, at a lower level of competition, a much lower lower level of competition. I just wish that at his size he dominated more as a run blocker at that lower level of competition. That's like my biggest hang up with him honestly is that I wish that you know at his size that he was able to just completely destroy Division two athletes that are going to be you know working at convenience stores in two in two years. <laughs> like I, I wish that he was able to do that a little bit more. Friend, I'm going to throw a hypothetical at you here. Okay. You're the GM. You're, you're making the the decision here. Round four, James Conner and Samaji Piran are both Ooh. there. Which player do you take? I think I like I like Piran more. I, I think I, I do like, too. Yeah, I like Piran more. I think Piran's got the ability for sure to be uh, a potential lead back in an offense, whereas Conner I think can be as well potentially, but I think he's more of a complement overall 
uh, and potential running back by committee kind of situation mm-hmm. where P. Ryan, I think, can be the guy. Talking about tight ends again for a second, it was funny when Doug was asked about <laughs> Trey, Trey Burton. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so we all watched this pretty much separately. Yeah. Uh, Alex and I were at our desk upstairs, Franz at his desk downstairs, and Doug, had, like, it was the way Jeff McClain asked questions, like, why did you sign Trey Burton? I was like, why did we sign Trey Burton? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, Doug, and Doug's pause was just kind of like, well, like, geez, like, we like, like the guy's been a good player. You know, and like finally gave the, you know, his special teams player, good offensive weapon, good locker room guy, all, all the stuff, you know, all the stuff that you could say easily. But it was just funny that it was, uh, you know, such an adversarial way to ask a question. Like, yeah. it's like, why Trey Burton with all these guys in the draft? I was like, you don't know if you're going to. Have be in position to get one, and yes, there are a lot of good talented tight ends, but I'm not ruling out tight end because again, Burton's a one year deal. Assuming that's he has to still sign his restricted free agent tender if that's what he goes with, that's a one year deal. And Brent Selleck, look, you know, Mr. Philadelphia embodies everything you want in the Eagles, but you're if you're looking, you know, two three years down the road, you're probably going to have to think about the future after Brent Selleck in that regard. So I certainly. Don't rule out a tight end at all, whether it's earlier or later in the NFL draft. Yeah, I don't rule out a tight end either. And my thinking is that even though Trey Burton is officially a tight end on our roster, I think he's more than that. He's really, you know, if you could put special teams next to him on the roster, I think that's his biggest thing right now. But even on offense, he's a tight end. He can You can spread him out and play wide receiver. He's gotten carries as a running back in emergency situations. Uh, so he does a lot more than just a typical tight end, which is why I think the Eagles could look to pick up maybe more of a traditional kind of tight end in this draft. Can I throw out a name in day three that I love? Okay. George Kittle Ooh. from Iowa. Oh, yes. I love George Kittle, man. Like I, like I watched him. I knew him from a year ago because uh, the Henry, law firm Henry Krieger uh, Koble, <laughs> and, I, so, and he's his cousin. By the, believe it or not, um, and I loved Henry Krieger Koble. It's his cousin. <laughs> I watched Kittle last summer, and I was like, oh, yeah, I like him. I don't love him. And I watched him again the other day, and, I, and I'm I'm a huge, huge fan of George Kittle and what he brings to the table. I thought you were going to go with Michael Roberts there from Toledo. Yeah, you like Michael. I Roberts. do like Michael. Roberts. <laughs> you like Michael, Michael Roberts. Don't put words in my mouth. <laughs> Our next question comes from at A underscore B right on Twitter. How long does Ishmael Zamora fly under the radar? I, I don't know, man, but he's he's super, super talented. Like I think that even not just counting off the field, um, you can compare him from a physical skill set standpoint to a Josh Gordon, to a Mark Tavis Bryant. I mean, he is long. He is explosive. He goes up and he attacks the football in the air. Needs to be a more polished, polished route runner. He's not a refined player right now, but physically, I mean, he is extremely, extremely intriguing. All right. Our last question here comes from at Sean Eham. What are your thoughts on Shelton Gibson for wow. the Eagles, the speedy wideout from West Virginia? Yeah, I think he offers definitely the speed element to an offense. And if you're looking on you know, the, the middle rounds, the late rounds, I think he definitely offers that. Uh, I do think that there are areas of his game where he can continue to improve. I'd like to see him get a little bit better uh, with his releases off the line of scrimmage. I'd like to see him get a little bit better as a route runner, but he offers great value as a kick returner, uh, and he's also got that speed element. So um, that's really the big thing when you look at Shelton Gibson and what he can offer right now. So, folks, that's going to do it. That was a juicy addition. It was. Of the Jerry and Draft Podcast. Brought the juice. We brought the juice. Brought the juice indeed. Uh, special thanks once again to Eric Galco from Optimum Scouting and Sporting News for being our Mr. Relevant. 
We're going to give some love to our producer, Brian Thomas, for making things happen behind the scenes. For Alex Smith and Fran Duffy, I'm Chris McPherson. Folks, we'll be back with another edition next week. I will be away, so I'm going to trust the boys. Oh, no. To hold down the fort, <laughs> to be able to dominate the podcasts, okay? Shorthand it. Uh, you guys will be just fine. I have plenty of faith in you guys. So until then, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week.